following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. This evening's reading is taken from Nehemiah, chapter 2, verses 1 to 18. I'll give you a few moments to find that in your Bible. And I will be reading from the NIV. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, What is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favour in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sambalat, the Honorite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me, except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate, towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down, and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night 
examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me, and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good evening. Let me add my welcome to that of Fee to our service tonight. Let's pray together. Lord and Father God, would you grant us a vision of your kingdom, a vision of your church, that we might be so impassioned to build it to your glory and for your honour. Amen. So welcome to episode two on our sermon series on Nehemiah. For those of you who didn't see Richard's introduction in what he called episode one last week, let's begin with a quick recap. We are at the start of Nehemiah's memoir, which is set in, the Susa, in Susa, the capital of the Persian Empire, in the time of King Artaxerxes in late 445 BC. Nehemiah's brother in chapter 1 comes from Jerusalem with bad news, the trouble and disgrace of those who survived the Babylonian exile. Jerusalem is desolate, the city gates burned, the walls ruined, those who survived the exile are back in the province but are in great trouble and disgrace. Nehemiah's response to this news is one of lament. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept, he says. Sitting down to weep is one step in his response, but it is not the final word, as Richard reminded us of last week. Nehemiah's lament is followed by a time of prayer and fasting, seeking the face of God. And in that seeking, Nehemiah makes a plan, which we see beginning to unfold in our reading tonight from chapter two. Chapter two begins with the final words, picks up the final words from chapter one. I was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah is a member of the king's court and in that role, he has direct access to the king. Now, Persian kings were famous for their opulent banquets and on some occasions were accustomed to grant special requests to those in attendance. Our text tonight is silent on the particular context in which the conversation at the centre of our reading takes place. But let us begin by imagining that episode two of our story begins in the palace of the king during one of those famed banquets presided over by Artaxerxes. 
as the camera pans across the jollity of feasting and those enjoying the banquet. We see Nehemiah coming into view, the wine steward bringing the best wines to the king for his enjoyment. Those of you familiar with the quick wit of comedians like Tim Vine will be familiar with the old joke, a horse walks into a bar. The barman takes a look at him and says, why the long face? As Nehemiah comes before the king, the king looks at his cupbearer and asks him the first of four questions we will hear. Why the sad face? But unlike the joke, this question is not rhetorical. Nehemiah, who tells us that he had never been sad in the king's presence before, is afraid. He has a plan, and this plan begins with his obvious despondency, as his response to the king's question reveals. Why should I not look sad, O king? when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Nehemiah has made his play. Having wept, having lamented, having prayed over the previous weeks and months, he has settled upon a plan which depends on the right approach to the king. And having come to the king, with a clear expression of upset. He is rewarded with the king's reply and the king's second question. What is it you want? And in response to that question, Nehemiah prays. He has been praying for months, but now right at this moment, at this time, his moment has come. He answers by asking Artaxerxes for general permission to go and rebuild the city. The king agrees and is pleased to send Nehemiah, but Nehemiah is not done quite yet. The king's final questions, how long will this take and when will you return, provides Nehemiah with the opportunity to ask for all that he needs for his plan to work. Provide me with letters of safe passage, says Nehemiah. Provide me with a letter to have timber for the repairs and for a place for me to stay in. And the king agrees. In fact, he does more than that. In addition to providing everything that Nehemiah asked for, he also provides him with army officers and a cavalry to accompany him. And Nehemiah is clear that although it is the king who's granted his request, it was the gracious hand of God at work that led the king to do so. So the episode moves from Nehemiah having been granted his request and comes to rest on two men looking more than a little disgruntled. Sambalat the Honorite and Tobiah the Ammonite, introduced into our account as the faces of jeopardy. Those who see their role as being to oppose Nehemiah and to frustrate 
his plan and the plan of God. The camera zooms out, ending the scene as the two men plot, as our reading tells us, very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. As we will come to see as we continue our journey through this book, Nehemiah's plan to rebuild the city of Jerusalem will not be easy. If God's city is to be rebuilt, it will first have to overcome opposition. Over the past months of lockdown, like uh, many of you, I assume, I have started listening to podcasts, to new podcasts, alongside those from our own church, of course. One of the ones I've subscribed to is Last Word, a weekly programme on Radio 4, which is in effect uh, an obituary programme, remembering the lives of those who have died in the past week. It's not a programme to go to for laughs, but the stories you will find there are often inspirational. One such story focused on someone I had never heard of before, a man called Bob Davy. Bob Davy was a retired water board superintendent who made it his life's work to restore a ruined church in Norfolk. Bob and his wife Gloria had been walking with her local women's institute in June 1992 when the group stopped for a rest. In the dense undergrowth, she saw some gravestones and following them, scrambled into a ruined church. No door, no floor, no roof, no windows. The whole thing was in a state of collapse. One thing that they did find, however, were symbols of satanic worship. There was an altar laid out for a black mass and a pentangle in the middle of the church. The number 666 had been scratched on the wall and a goat-headed image on the other. That church, the church of St Mary the Virgin, Houghton on the hill near Swatham, had been long abandoned and had even been looted for building materials. One of Bob Davies' friends said, as soon as Bob entered that place, he said he felt that God was speaking to him, that this was something God had given him. Bob later said to them, this is what I was meant to do, the most important part of my life, and I'm going to do it. That gave him the conviction to carry on. He became totally devoted to it, even in the face of opposition. The thought that the church had been used or was being used by Satanists horrified him. Bob was a committed Christian, a lay reader and a church warden. And my friends, you don't mess with church wardens. He faced opposition. Those using it for satanic worship threatened him physically, gathered outside his home, cursed him and even tried to run him down. Bob spent the next 25 years of his life restoring the church. A small team of volunteers was formed 
who began to help him. He got money where he could and when he couldn't, he spent his own money. He said he spent a fortune of his own money restoring the church. The story is an inspiring one and the link to that podcast is in the Facebook chat for those who want to know more. Bob Davy died last month on the 4th of March, age 91. His ashes were scattered in the gardens of the now fully restored church. After his funeral, one of the volunteers said, the church would not have been there without Bob. There's a sense of calm, tranquility and peace there. During lockdown, people have come to sit in the gardens and to sit in the church because of the spirit that is there. He was extraordinarily committed, they said, to the vision that God gave him. Our reading tonight ends at verse 18 of chapter 2, but in the verses that follow, we see the return in our story of Sambalat the Honorite and Tobiah the Ammonite, ridiculing and mocking Nehemiah as he starts about his work to rebuild the city of God. Next week, Richard will start episode three of this series, taking up our story at chapter four and considering the sustained discouragement and opposition which Nehemiah faced in his work. But in the intervening chapter, in chapter three, we read of the work getting underway, of the fruit of the plans that Nehemiah made before the Lord, revealing not only the extent of the work being done, but also of the people who were doing it. Those people who had heard the vision of the restoration, shared it and began to get down to it. But my friends, this call to rebuild God's church goes way beyond physical buildings. This week, the Church of England published the report of the Archbishop's Anti-Racism Task Force titled, just like this sermon is tonight, From Lament to Action. As many of you know, I've been the co-chair of the task force for the past six months, and my friends, the report has been a labour of love. It was commissioned with the remit of bringing about cultural and structural change to the Church of England. It has faced opposition, with a member of the Church of England in a senior position leaking an early draft of our report to a journalist for the sole purpose of rubbishing it before its publication. And even since its publication on Thursday, there have been people who have questioned its purposes and its 47 recommendations, accusing it simply of being nothing more than liberal wokery. But my friends, at its heart, the report is a missional document which seeks to address how together we build a church for all people. It seeks to establish how the church can be a community of hope and flourishing where all of God's people can bring their gifts. It's a missional report which seeks to build a church for all people who know what it is to be broken and through the love of God in Jesus Christ are offered the opportunity to be redeemed and transformed. 
Early on in John's Gospel, in chapter 2, Jesus clears the temple and is challenged and opposed in his actions by the Pharisees. Jesus answers them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They reply to him, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. My friends, God's work of restoration and rebuilding to transform our lives as an ongoing daily work of love is the start of each of our journeys and our call. The challenge before us as the church in this place, as St Nick's in Durham, as living stones, is to rebuild God's church with the passion, dedication and vision which God gives afresh to each generation. Nehemiah received his vision from God. He prayed, he lamented and then he acted. Bob Davy, having received his vision, stood in the ruins of desecration, spent the next 25 years restoring, rebuilding and transforming. My friends, what is God asking of each of us, his living stones to do, to build his church in this generation? Next month, from May the 13th to the 23rd, there's going to be an opportunity for all of us as individuals and as a church to participate in Thy Kingdom Come. The 10 days of global wave of prayer between Ascension and Pentecost, praying for more people to come and to know the love and peace of Jesus Christ. How will we play our part in that vision as a church? How will each of us play our part in enabling God to build his kingdom here? My sisters and brothers, may God give to us, to each of us as individuals and to us as a church, the vision, the commitment and the desire to rebuild his church here. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.